Hi, and welcome to another great message from Noosa Church. We pray that you're impacted and inspired by this teaching. For more information and service times, check out our website at noosa.church. Enjoy. The title of my message is called Imago Day. Uh, and as you can see, this beautiful handwriting and pictures was actually drawn by my wife, um, hand-drawn by herself. Um, so when you see her, she's super talented. But if we haven't heard the term Imago Day before, it actually is derived, it's a Latin term, from Genesis 1. Uh, and as we can see here, we'll jump up over to the next slide. We have Genesis 1, 26 to 27. I'm going to read from what Josiah calls our Sky Bible today. But it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And it goes on into uh, verse 2 to talk about he created them from the dust of the earth. The term Imago Dei means image of God that we see there in the likeness of God. <clears throat> the Hebrew term it's originally drawn from is actually Selem uh, Elohim, which means we all belong to God. <clears throat> so I think the first and foremost most important thing to actually understand here is that as we can can we hold that scripture up there Ben the lord created man here so we are the created and he is the creator the word defines him as the creator not one of not one of many or a few it says he is the creator so it's important to know that here but what happened as this story proceeds, in that very garden, we became gods unto to ourselves and started to define our own image. But let's unpack this idea of image of God briefly. We're talking about identity here. So likeness, the term often used hand in hand with image of God, is often referred to as a painter would be painting the likeness of someone else. So let's use the most famous painting of all, the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa was a painting that's in the likeness of Lisa del Giocondo. So if it was an image, it would be almost like a photo. This is actually her. The likeness is a representation of her. So that's what we're talking about here. So the first question this leads us to ask that if we were created in the image of God, who is God? <clears throat> and I'm not going to try and give you an expository, complete and utter definition of who God is right now in this moment. So don't write that down and then go take that out to the streets. What I'm going to do is unpack just a few different ideas around this on who our identity is now. <clears throat> I think knowing God is much like knowing your spouse or knowing a great friend. You, for instance, you get married and you, you think you know your, your wife or your husband wholly and completely, don't you? Husbands and wives, you're like, yeah, I knew them completely and entirely and I don't need to know them anymore. 
Michael's giving me a nice big smile over the back there with Di. But then as you go on, you start to learn more and you grow more in love with them. And then you look back and go, I feel like I didn't even know you. Holy, there's so much more to who you are. Or with the friends, you can just be in the room together and they can give you like a little wink or they say a certain word and you just know they're meaning this. But as we see here in our next slide, John 1, 1 to 5, on who God is, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't comprehend. So we see here everything that exists today in reference to the Creator, everything, whether it be tangible or intangible, He created and it is embodied in who He is. But then we flip to verse 14 in that same verse. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So out of all the, the facets of who our God is, we could list them all. We could list He's omnipotent, He's omniscient, He's sovereign, He's close at hand, He's our joy, He is our comforter. Out of all those facets, there's one that stands out to me. And in the context of His position as Lord of heaven and earth, on, in whom all creation exists, of His power, that He is omnipotent, and His holiness. This one stands out to me, that He is humble. We see in Isaiah 59 that He says, So He Himself stepped in to save us with His strong arm and His justice to sustain Him. Matthew 20, 28, But the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Philippians 2, 6, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Here we have the God who everything exists within. Referring back to Genesis, made himself like the dust of the earth of which he formed and put himself into our lives. In our lives, we've got so many opportunities to be the polar opposite. We've got, we can lord ourselves over our circumstances, lord ourselves over our family. But here we see God's approach is different. And I I dare say that our approach to even uh, leadership and um, people in our lives can sometimes be in reference to not knowing who God is, whereas God is actually a humble God. So where the world says, become like God, as it did in Genesis with the temptation of sin and Lucifer. He says, I'll come and be with you. This is the God of whom our image is drawn from, our likeness is drawn from. I think to husbands and their families, uh, are we that representation to our families? Don't Get on my back and follow me. How about I come and serve my family? 
or business owners? Are, are we in that same model, serving our, serving our team, serving our business? Many religions in the world tend to draw focus to uh, becoming like God. I've heard it said, climbing the ladder. <clears throat> that you can look through the ages and all the different religions that have risen, but there's one thing that separates Christianity from the rest in that God came to earth. His humility is what defines our Christianity and our salvation. He's a humble God. So the question this leads now is how does this affect me? So what I want to do is just draw our attention to one of the great modern philosophers of our time. Um, As a father of three, um, I found this really profound reading um, or even seeing, and I'm, I'm sure we're all of acquainted with this philosopher. You just don't know it. Uh, Ben, if we can put that slide up, that would be great. Shrek. If you don't know who Shrek is, spend some time learning. Some good value there. In the profound words of Shrek, we hear, ogres are like onions. So here we're talking about identity. And I think there's actually some truth in this. Uh, in that we're, we're often going through life trying to figure out who we're trying to become. We've heard it said, become like this or become like that. Um, but I think Shrek's on it here. I think he's nailed the meaning of life right here. Rather than becoming, it's kind of like peeling back the layers. We're, we're, we have this gift of God in us and this sweetness that, put through the fire or in the heat, it becomes sweet and uh, a basis to everything uh, about in our meals and whatnot. But I'd like to suggest here that rather than becoming, we are actually discovering our belonging. In reference to that Selem Elohim, we all belong to God. So there's not a matter of striving now. It's discovering who we are, peeling back those layers and understanding who we are and who God is in us. And like I said, it's not until you put an ingredient like an onion into the fire or into the heat uh, where you actually see its true aroma rise. Sometimes it can sting your eyes and hopefully that's not us the one stinging your eyes. Hopefully we are that sweet aroma. But on that, our worship is not a matter of what we're doing or becoming. Our worship is who we are. The Word talks about your reasonable service is giving your life wholly and utterly to Him. So our pursuit now in discovering is similar to what we would see in uh, Drawing near to, for instance, let's say Mount Koroi, all right? From a distance, from where we are driving, even out of this roundabout, you can see Mount Koroi in the distance. And from here, I can perceive how big Koroi is. Right here, we're saying Koroi, Mount Koroi, let's use that as a representation of who God is. From a distance, I can perceive 
how big Karoi is. <clears throat> but it's not until I pursue and get close to Mount Karoi where I really understand its size and its magnitude. And in that, you understand your size and your magnitude. From here, Karoi is this big. But when I get close to Karoi, Karoi is massive and it's wide and it's deep and I'm quite small. So what I, what I want to suggest here is that in that discovering, we are peeling back the layers, <clears throat> those layers being uh, the things of this world, the sin that we have so easily entangled around us. And we'll throw up now Psalm 139. <clears throat> here we have David talking. All right. So he's saying here, for you. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. My inward parts like the centre of an onion. Hopefully this is kind of spinning around your head as you go home this afternoon and cutting like your chicken and salad and your onion and that to go on. But for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Note that. And skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. So what he's saying here is that you were actually fearfully and wonderfully made prior to your existence. The picture I'm seeing is we have time and the world and the universe of which we understand now. So sitting here and more specifically, our actual existence right here. But what he's saying is we've actually got eternity sitting outside of that. And so in this space, prior to your very moment of existence, God's thought about you. He's designed you. He's thought of your beginning and He's thought of your end. He's thought of how you will talk and how you will uh, look, how you will approach things, things that will grab your attention and things that won't. But it wasn't until we entered into the world where sin came upon us. So we see in Colossians 3, for instance, it says, Put on the new self, having been renewed. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Romans 12, Do not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what we're hearing here is this renewal mentality. So God's actually designed us as something, and He's saying, let's go back to that. Are you with me? Yep. So he's saying, let's go back to that. <clears throat> that word renew means having been resumed, reestablished, or revived. And I just want to highlight there, revived, the term. We see the revivals of the old, like the great awakenings and these sorts of things. Those moments in time, they weren't actually called revivals until after the fact. So now in this day and age, we say, God, I pray for revival. I pray for revival. 
in that day, they didn't know what revival was. They were just praying and believing for holiness. Their prayer wasn't, Lord, send revival. It was, Lord, have mercy. I think how profound that <clears throat> your, your George Whitfields, your, your tenants and your Edwards, they preached holiness rather than the moment. And I think the church is getting back to that where uh, he's, he's coming for his pure bride. He's not coming for a moment in time, the rapture, whatever you, it want to be. He's coming for a pure bride. <clears throat> it, never, it never made sense to have God here in this verse, like David's saying, the days fashioned for me when as yet there was none. So he's created you and then saying it's not good when you've entered into earth. The reason it wasn't good is because the environment in which we entered into by our own doing was polluted by the original sin, which was pride. Like I was saying in Genesis, we became gods unto ourselves and we started to find ourselves. <clears throat> How does something become dirty if it wasn't already clean, if I may ask? So if your face is dirty, do you replace the face? No, you apply the soap. And this is the message. This is the beauty of the cross is that if the soul is dirty, you apply the blood of Jesus. That cleansing flow, like the song says, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Come on, sing it with me. What can take away my sin. I don't have a pad, but nothing but the blood of Jesus. And again, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amazing. Is this starting to make a little sense now? If something isn't of itself dirty, once it's cleansed, it won't exist. But what we see here is a renewal, washing away of the sin. That is the message of the cross. This is why we can say more of you and less of me. As we approach God, we're not removing ourselves from the equation. We're just seeing His greatness. Is it getting through this morning? Sorry, it's a bit of, bit of teaching. And we're kind of going to bring it a little bit home now. I think that's, that's part of who we are as Christians is that being made and route in the, in the depths of heaven, but then entering, entering into a frail world. Out of all the materials available to God at that time, He chooses the dust of the earth. I believe that that's where we need to start feeling at home in. In the image of God, but of the dust of the earth. 
not referring to the dirt. What I'm referring to is in God's image, which is precious, but of the dust of the earth, which is frail. As believers, we are in God's image, but of the dust of the earth. And so what now, we ask? We've started to peel back the layers. We've started to understand a bit of who God is and who we are at our core. But what now? The, The Word says in 2 Chronicles, And if my people would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn... Corinthians says, for we have this treasures, this treasure in jars of clay. Like we're just saying, there's this glory on the inside that isn't us. We are the vessel. He is the glory. And it's that humility. It takes that humility to understand that. The vice versa would say, I am glorious. Whereas what the believer says is he is glorious. Not because it's it's a... a lack of self-image, of of good self-image. It's just because we know the fact is that He is glorious. So as Philippians says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We start to find our identity in Christ Jesus. We are Dwayne Potter or Ian Bonet. We are Josiah as God made him, but peeling back the layers to discover more of who we are. Our pursuit is in Christ Jesus. And like I was saying before, Christ is returning for a pure bride. He's coming for that washed, cleansing flow that has run over the, His church. He's coming for that pure bride. The incredible thing here is that it is not until matrimony where the bride and the groom become one. So where we are in this moment in time is that we are being made pure as individuals and as a body. We have to be able to make that distinction that on Christ's return, we will be made one. But in Him now, we are justified and sanctified, big words. But what that means is that our position has changed and we are being made holy in that process. So we see here in Mark 12, a beautiful moment that I think summarises this whole message. What we have here is the Pharisees have come up to Jesus in the middle of town and they're trying to have a go at him. And it actually says they they saw him in his moment and tried to catch him out. We proceed to verse 14. It says, Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favourites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us how good's a question with another agenda behind it. They're trying to like pump him up, but also trying to catch him out at the same time. You teach the way of God and truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Straight to the heart. How good's that? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. 
When they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title is stamped on this? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. That picture that you see there, that's actually a representation or a likeness of a denarius, uh, which was the Roman coin at that time. So the Pharisees have come to try and catch him out with an item, with a little, with a little coin to try and have a go at who he is. <clears throat> but what Jesus does is he cuts straight to the heart and he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's because it bears his image and give to God what is God's. I think how profound is that? That as the coin bears Caesar's image, what bears God's? All of who we are. And often it can be perceived as that's uh, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's or give to God. Some translations actually say the things that are God's. And how often we can even read that and go, oh, I'll give God my possessions. I'll give him my house. I'll go and sell everything that I have and, like, and follow him. But what he's actually saying, even when it comes to reference of the rich young ruler, he's not saying, give me your things. He's saying, give me you. You, you belong to me. Selem Elohim. We all belong to God. We're peeling those layers back to unfold God's image in us, to become that pure bride. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Can I challenge you today? In your everyday, how can you be giving who you are to God? In your words and your actions and who you are, not what you do, not what you have. Give to God what is God's. Father God, we um, come before you as the church, Father God, as your beloved, and lay ourselves down again, Lord God, in surrender. Blessed be your name, Father God. Blessed be your name, for you are holy, and you are mighty, and you are great. Father God, we surrender before you again, Lord, and as we embark on this discovery, Father God, of who we are in you, renewing our mind, Father, renewing ourselves in you, Father God. Show us, Father, the things, those layers uh, that you would have us drop by the wayside. Cleanse us with that cleansing flow. How beautiful it is, the message of the cross, that we were made clean because of your sacrifice. And as we come into the time of Easter, Father God, let us remember that sacrifice. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching, that you've been encouraged and challenged. To stay up to date with our latest messages, you can subscribe to our podcast. For more information, resource or service times, please check out our website at noosa.church.